there for for you guys. Um, it's been been a good week um, in here, and and what God's God's been doing. Preteen camp. Our preteeners were gone out to Highland Lakes uh, this Thursday through today. They should be back now. I don't know if some have snuck in or not, but. Uh, we are, we are glad I got to go visit them yesterday and kind of see what's going on. I know for sure that at least two of our students in preteen camp gave their lives to Christ this week while at camp. And so, yeah, man, we got a lot to celebrate what God's doing, seeing the fruit of all the work, BBS and youth camp and now preteen camp. We have kids camp to go, mission trip to go. So there's still a busy summer of what God is doing and working with the, the families in our community and that kind of stuff is a really cool deal. So, um, they're, they're neat out there. Preteen camp is an interesting experience, uh, my wife and both kids were out there, so I've been flying solo since Thursday, uh, which is a dangerous thing. But I got to go out and visit them yesterday. And, uh, their camp speaker is a juggler, uh, which is interesting. He throws things, you know, whatever, a bowling ball, tennis ball, and a ping pong ball all at the same time. Um, I'd be more impressed if he could do a fourth grader, fifth grader, and a sixth grader at the same time. But um, definitely catches the kids' attention and brings them in and, and able to do that. Uh, he's able to, to connect the way he did a thing about lights last night. So they turned all the lights off, and he started juggling things that glow in the dark. Um, uh, he's had some yo-yos that glowed in the dark. He had uh, some bouncy balls that glowed in the dark. He had a Cherry Mary muffin doll that glowed in the dark. It was, it was fantastic what he had to be able to do that. And so just getting it all in is, is fantastic for that. And, and then to bring the kids in to see you're the light and we are to shine the light. And so it was good. And hopefully our kids will come home exhausted, but yet full of Jesus. And that's always a great thing on that. If you rewind the clock a little bit to, um, to two weeks ago when we were at youth camp, uh, it was it was a pretty pretty cool challenge that that we received as well. Our theme for the week was God calls us to move, and as you look in Scripture, God is constantly moving. If you look at our current lives right now, God is moving, and we have a challenge to respond. What's our move going to be after God has moved? And and I don't think that God calls us to sit still. There's times to be still and know that He's God, but when He moves, He's asking us to respond. In kind, he's asking us to make that move as well. I, there's no gift in the in the Bible of spectating. We are to be participants. And as you heard Lane Lane read there, Jesus said, "As my Father has sent me, so I'm sending you." And you can't be sent sitting still. To be sent, you must move. You must be obedient. You must go and do. And we're going to unpack that a little bit today and kind of talk about that about recognizing God moving and what's our move in response to that to figure out what that's going to be right there. And so I'm going to I'm going to tell you a story. From Scripture, don't check out when you go, oh, I've heard this a million times. I think you'll hear a fresh take on this today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 3. This is where we're going to be. Daniel chapter 3, page 1006 in mine. But, uh, but that's where we're going to be. There's, there's three guys in here that are teenagers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're like, oh, I've heard this. No, no, no. This is great. Um, you got these three guys, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon decides he's going to bring in the best of the best. And so he's going to go pick and, and choose the best of the best. Probably would have come to Central Baptist Church's youth group to pick the best of the best, in my opinion. Um, I believe we've got some incredible Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's in our youth group. Um, and that makes parents uncomfortable sometimes because that doesn't mean they're always going to stick around here. Uh, they're world changers. And these guys were too. And, and they were plucked and moved, literally had to move from their home to Babylon. They had to learn a new culture. They had to learn a new language. They had to learn everything and submit to this king that was there and get trained and all of this stuff that was going on. So they literally had to move. Now, a lot of times we would say, well, then God must not care about them because if God loved you, something bad wouldn't happen to you. And that's just not true. 
Nothing is wasted in God's economy. Even the stuff that we see as bad, God uses for his glory. That's Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The problem is we're the ones defining good. God gets to define good because he is good. And so if we trust that he is good, then no matter what goes on in our circumstances, God is good. And so these three young men were taken and uprooted with Daniel, but he's not part of our story today, and, and goes to Nebuchadnezzar. And there they are as slaves to him. They are slaves in a new country. Now, slaves, that's a bad thing. Like, we don't, we don't believe in slavery anymore. We've abolished slavery, right? We, we're done with slavery. But, but can I argue this to you? Just because you choose your master doesn't mean you're not a slave. Like, like that hurts. So I'm going to say it again, so it'll hurt again. Just because you choose your master doesn't mean you're not a slave. And let's think about the things that we choose to submit to, because our lives tell that story. Our lives tell what's most important that we're going to submit to, that we're going to be under the authority of. And sometimes that can be good things. I mean, it can be, I I want to do great at my job. I want to do great at this. If that's your idol, it's sin. And you're a slave to that. Scripture tells me that I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a child of God. I don't have to have fear. I don't have to have that stuff. But if I'm going to choose to have that as my master, you're a slave. And it may be an addiction. It may be something that's hidden. It may be something that nobody else knows about, but you've got to get your hands on it. You've got to be a part of it. You've got to go. Just because you choose it doesn't mean you're not a slave. So choose carefully. And these guys right here would have been called slaves in this time. The problem was they didn't recognize Nebuchadnezzar as their master. They didn't walk in going, ah, well, I guess this is our lot in life. We're stuck. We've got to follow his decrees. No. They started off immediately going, well, we really don't want to eat your food, bro. Like, this is the best food. It's coming from my table. You need to eat this. No, I'll take some vegetables and water. I'll take some broccoli and I'll take some kale, which is terrible. I mean, this is what they chose. Give me some water while we're at it, right? This is what we're going to do. And this is what we're going to eat. And they're like, well, if you do that, you know, because try that now. Like, you need to be healthy. So let's just eat vegetables and water. Well, where's your protein? Where's your gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, taste-free? Where, where are those things at, right? And, and so that diet wouldn't work in our, in our culture today. But in that time, they said, this is what we're going to do. And the guy's like, mm, and goes, give us 10 days. We'll let us eat this for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, check us out, see how good or bad we are, and then we'll go from there. 10 days later, they are the best of the best. They ate the vegetables and the water And that was it. And they were the best of the best. Why? Because they were following what the king said? No, because they were following what the king of kings said. And and because of that, they were found with favor. And so so now they're beginning to rise the ranks, right? They're climbing the ranks. They're they're well thought of. They're they're highly respected. and, And all these things are happening good for them. Well, some other people don't like that so much. And they don't like these guys getting the best. And so they come up with a plan. Hey, King Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm sure they didn't say it to his face. but You're really an arrogant guy. So here's what we want to do. We want to build a statue that people have to bow down. 90 feet tall, it'll be gold, it'll be awesome. Let's just build the statue. Then when the band plays, then everybody has to bow down and recognize you as the king. He's like, I like that. Makes me feel good. Let's do it. So they build this giant statue and the band plays, or whatever instruments, probably the harp, maybe. But they start playing the stuff and everybody bows down and there's three dudes that don't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wow. We can't have that. So they go tell the king, king, these three guys didn't bow down. Like they're all jealous about this. And the king's like, what? We can't have this. Bring them to me. So they come in, they get into the presence of the king. Like, I'm going to give you a second chance. Because if you don't bow down, 
you're going in a pit of fire. That's what's going to happen. I got this furnace over here. It's really hot. We do a lot of briskets and you're going to be the next one. So you need to know this is your lot. You got to make a choice. You got to bow down. And that's where we pick up the story. So that's where we're at in, in uh, Daniel chapter three. That's here. So the band plays. Here we go. Daniel three sixteen. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him. So now they're speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. There's a lot of boldness right there. There's a lot of boldness. And you look at these. These are some teenage guys. Okay, it's not like these are some seasoned men that have a lot of years under their belt that have been through the tough times. These are young bucks, man. They got plucked from their town and stuck over here, learning all this stuff, doing all this stuff. And now they're faced with this major dilemma. You're going to bow down or not? Are you going to move? What is your move going to look like? In this particular case, their move was this. That was it. There was no bowing down. Now, I don't know if they crossed their arms. That's probably what I would have done. I probably would have stuck my tongue out, too. Probably what I done, but these guys were probably a little more godly than me. But but so they didn't bow down. Their move in response was, no, we're not going to, and we're going to tell you why we're not going to. Now, what I see in this passage in these three verses right here is so much great stuff to chew on. There were three reasons they moved the way they did. Three points of what they did. I want to grab that because there's one in each verse to do it. So the very first thing they did this: they moved with conviction. They moved with conviction. Now, conviction is a, is a pretty important thing. Conviction is a, is a deal that says, I'm not making this choice out of convenience. I'm not making this choice out of comfort. I'm making this choice because it's the right thing, period. I am convinced. I am convicted. I am so solid on this point that I'm not moving. See, conviction is what gives you backbone. The conviction straightened their backs up instead of bowed their knees. Because the easy thing to do would have been just take a knee. Let's make a deal. We'll bargain this thing out. I know the king wants us to do it. God put us here for a reason. And so we're to minister to all these people right here so we can just bow down one time, make the king happy. Then we can stay alive and minister to all these people. See, it justifies disobedience. How many times have I done that in my life? I justify sin because I have a good reason on the other side because it will make a difference. And that's terrible. And, and these guys did not do it. They didn't try to take a shortcut. They weren't bargaining. They weren't trying to make a, make a deal with the king or make a deal with God. They said, we are convinced. We are convicted, and it's not going to change. And so it says in, in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Our mind is made up. I don't need to defend you. I'm not going to have an argument. My mind is made up. The decision has been made. This is what we're doing. And that's bold. That is a strong word for them to grab right there that was there. They were motivated not by what was easy or comfortable. They were motivated by what was right. And unfortunately, our culture, we're motivated by what feels good. We're motivated by the, the, the easiness of it. I mean, I, I'll tell you, it happened even this morning to me. We walked in this morning at 7 o'clock. AC wasn't working in here. Like I had a wall of heat. Boom. Oh, man, I don't know if we can do church. You can't have church without AC, Right? That's uncomfortable because I was thinking of you. But I don't answer this out loud. But how many people would walk in here with your nice clothes on, hit a wall of heat and go, oh, okay. 
here we go, and turn around and walk out. And why did I have that thought this morning about, man, maybe we can shorten the service or maybe we can move it somewhere. When I've been to Africa and Haiti and they go for hours with no AC. AC does not make a church. See, shortcut, convenience, comfort. That's what we go for. And these young men said, we will move with conviction. What is the conviction that's on your heart? What is the non-negotiable in your life? What is the thing you will not move from? It's got to be right here. It's got to be this. This is what we stand on. And when we step off of this, we get on a crumbly road. But we stand on God's word. We have a foundation that will not move. That will not move. So that's the one. First move is this. Move with conviction that's there. Number two is this. They, they move with confidence. Confidence. Not arrogance. Confidence. And let me explain that. Confidence being this. Full trust, belief in the reliability of someone. That's what confidence is. It's really not even in yourself as much as it is in who God is. It's a confidence. Look at verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Like, that's confidence. That's confidence in that situation. They knew God was big enough to do something that they had no idea how he was going to do it. They were confident in God because he is who he says he is, will do what he says he's going to do. He put us in the situation. He's going to get us out of the situation. And so all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Hadn't even been written yet, but they're living it out in this moment right here with the confidence of who God is. And they stepped into this moment and said, our God's able to deliver us. I can just see people snickering like, you can't even see your God. I can see that fire. I know what's fixing to happen to you. But the confidence that they had in that moment is, is huge. And they didn't know how. We don't know how he's going to do it. Like he can send out a big old plane and scoop us up. He didn't know planes hadn't been invented. I don't know. But they knew he could. But they knew that only he could. See, this is where the control gets in trouble, at least for me. I don't know if that's you or not. Because I have full confidence in God as long as I can do it. That's too often my mindset. I totally trust God because I know I have enough money in the bank to pay my bills. But do I just have full confidence in God to meet all my needs when I have more month than money? When I have more fear than faith? When I have more doubt than hope? And too often I walk in those things and it hurts. And I'm reminded of this, the confidence that God is who he says he is. And he has the ability to meet all of our needs according to glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We just learned that at VBS. And that's awesome. But if we learned that verse for an experience at VBS and not for our life, we missed it. We spent a whole week with a lot of cool decorations to not live out the trusting of God to meet all of our needs in the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. We say it. But do we have that full confidence? Or do we move with confidence in who God is? How big is your God? He's got the whole world in his hands until it's your world. Then you want it in your hands. So they moved with confidence that was there, which led to this. Number three, they moved with commitment. They moved with commitment. Now, understand this with, with commitment, because this is the hardest part. This is rubber meets the road kind of pieces right here. This is, this is that what's going on. Hey, welcome back, Harrison, Riley. You're awesome. Um, and... Uh, and so did my kids not make it back? Oh, there they are. Hey, guys, I love you. Okay. Um, so the, the commitment part here, rubber meets the road kind of deal. Because commitment in this, in this moment is this. You don't have commitment without conviction and confidence. 
Let me explain that to you. You don't have commitment without conviction and confidence. And too often we put commitment first. You need to make a commitment. You need to make a commitment. You can't make a commitment if you're not already convinced and convicted about something and confident in who that somebody is. Then you can step into a commitment. You can't commit without the conviction. You can't commit without the confidence of who God is. And we want people to commit. Go commit. Go commit. Well, if they don't already know God and trust God, they can't commit to God. We've got to walk in that right order. And these guys got it. They were convicted. They had a conviction that God is who he says he is. They were confident that he could do what he says he could do. And so they were able to step into this commitment. They were able to step in to say, you want to kill us? I got you. I'm calling your shot right here. Look what he says in verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They put their lives in the hands of God regardless of the outcome. I don't do that frequently. I talk about it frequently. But I don't always do that. And these guys said, not only are we convicted, not only do we have confidence, I'm so committed, watch this, I'll step into it. It's the ultimate trust fall. Into a fire. All right. I can do that. That's bold. I I want that. I want our church to have that. Our community needs to see people like that. They're desperate for someone that has the conviction and the confidence and the commitment to Christ to step out in faith and do these things. And we've got to do it. He's calling us to move. As I have sent, uh, as my Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We're being sent. And I don't know where you're being sent, but you have circles of influence that only you can influence. And it's time to go in there with faith. It's time to have the conviction and the confidence and the commitment to walk into this. This defining moment. See, because we're good at the others, because the other ones only involve talk. And this one involves action. This is the moving part. This is the part where the wheels start going. And you've got to have, a, have an opportunity to go and get, and get into this kind of thing. So regardless of what happened after this moment, they said this. They made that statement right there. Uh, Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. The king would not crush their integrity at this point. They've already said it. And he could not silence the truth. Because there's nothing else he can do. Well, I'll kill you. Okay. God's able to save me. But even if he doesn't, I'm willing. Let's go. You talk about going from fear to faith. You talk about an incredible move right there that took place. And here's the, here's, man, here's the best part of this whole thing right here on this. How many times have you, and just think about your last week or so, maybe month. I don't know how long you need to go back. Think about it. How many times have you said, what if? What if I can't pay my bill? What if the doctor's report is bad? What if my marriage isn't going to last? What if my kid doesn't come back from the far country? What if someone talks about bad about me on social media? I mean, it depends on your level of commitment of where you're at, what's important to you. But we use what if a lot. Well, what if he doesn't come through? What if I don't get this job? What if I do? What if, what if, what if, what if? And we live with a whole lot of what, up, what ifs. Can I tell you that when you walk in this idea of conviction, confidence, and commitment, God turns our what ifs into even ifs. Isn't that good? Because those guys said it right there in the scripture. He said... Even if he does not. They didn't make these statements and then go, hey guys, what if he doesn't do this? I mean, is there, do we have a, are we just going to die? Are we okay? Are we going to, is there escape? What are we doing? Like if you take out that guard, I can get that guard. Maybe we can run. There was no what if scenario in these three guys' lives. Even if he doesn't. I know he can. 
I know he's capable. I've seen him do miraculous things. But even if he doesn't, I'm okay because he's still in charge. Can we say that about our what ifs now? Are we allowing God to turn our what ifs into even ifs? Even if I trust God. Even if I submit to his authority. Even if I will walk into whatever I need to walk into because he's got me. Because I'm walking in obedience to him. Man, that's crazy to turn the what ifs into even ifs and it's happening right there in that situation. So how did it end for these guys? Well, obviously the king is enraged. They got talked a lot of smack to him right there in that moment. Said, well, my God can save me. Even if he doesn't, it's cool. I'll do whatever you want to do. 700 times hotter. Let's turn it up, right? We're going to barbecue you guys. They go and throw them in. Right? And the guys that threw them in end up dying. So they're like little crispy critters on the ground. And, and these guys get chunked in the fire. And the king is standing back with some of his other buddies like, man, we throw those guys in there. It's awesome. It feels good. How come I see four? How many do we throw in? I know I'm the king. I can count to three. But I see four. Am I wrong? Is that What's happening right there? What, what, and that fourth one looks like the son of God. Like, I... This is freaking me out a little bit. Think about Nebuchadnezzar in this moment. After all he had just heard and the confidence these guys had, go all the way back to not eating his food, right? And the stance that they had taken, the conviction they had from the time they got there, right? The confidence they had the whole time they went through it, and now the commitment they were making was not just words they were talking because they had a good mountaintop experience at camp or disciple now or mission trip or whatever it is the situation we had this great mountaintop experience and it was awesome and i can do all things through christ who strengthens me while i'm not at home but when i get at home i can't do anything now these guys had it all the way through and now they were getting called on it they got chunked in the fire even if he doesn't we're good let's go truth is truth and it's been said boom four i'm a little nervous about that what are they doing in there are they dancing you know johnny cash i fell into a burning ring of fire. i don't know what was going on but there they are in that moment, and they're sitting there, and four of them, he goes, get them out. Get them out. I want these guys out of there. And so they get them, they pull them out of there, and there's only three that come out. And she's like, i got to go prepare a place for you. So uh, he goes, and he's in there, and these guys come out. And there they are standing before the king. They don't smell like smoke. Nothing is singed. Not a hair on their head is even touched. Just the ropes fell off of them because they burned up. And they're standing before the king after he yanks them out. And here's the king's response in verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. There's an exclamation point there. The dude is yelling. Like, yelling. He's yelling praise to God. Get this. This is not a casual, golly, man, I hate this one. You're right, I'm wrong. It wasn't that at all. His whole countenance had changed. His heart was transformed. He understood the, the, the sovereignty of God, the awesomeness of God. He recognized it because of these three men. And he says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants. This is unbelievable. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god but their own god. Like, you talk about an incredible speech to give to recognize these three guys after what they did. He proclaimed that, and he honored them in that. They were willing to die rather than worship a God that was not theirs. Too many times I'm willing to keep quiet and say I'm not worshiping another God, but yet my time tells me I am. My habits tell me I am. My thoughts tell me I am. 
they moved in response. Now, God moved them to Babylon. And you would say that they were slaves. They were not slaves to Nebuchadnezzar. They never recognized his authority in their life. They were servants of Christ. And they were tested literally through the fire. And they came out on the other side. That doesn't mean we always will. Not every story ends being pulled out of the fire. Sometimes the story ends with pain. Sometimes the story ends with hurt, but it does not mean God is not on his throne. It does not mean that. And we can all tell stories of things that hurt us. Go back in time. I can tell you stories. My parents divorced. My dad dying. There's different things that hurt. It never knocked God off his throne. He was never less of a God. He never cared less about me. He never thought less about me. He was who he said he was. He did what he said he would do. And I have full confidence in him. So therefore, I can walk in a commitment to him if I'm willing to do that. But please know this. Your feelings and your circumstances do not dictate how good God is. It doesn't. We've allowed that to happen. We've made much of this place and we need to make much of heaven. We get through this day because we know that day's coming. So do what you will to me, world. You're not my master. I submit to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the ultimate authority in my life. And that's what these three guys did. So my question to us is this. What's your move? You've heard the scriptures. You've read them. What's your move? What are you facing right now that's allowing more fear than faith to win? What is it? What's your what if that needs to turn into an even if today? What is it that you need to drop at this altar today? What is it you need to go have a prayer person pray over you? What sin do you need to confess and repent so you can walk in forgiveness and hope and not walk in the weight of of addiction or shame or whatever it is? What's your move? Because if you sit still, you're doing exactly what the enemy wants. Ask any military people. This is July 4th week, right? We're celebrating the the independence of our country because there was fights and all the stuff that went on. The worst thing you can possibly do in a battle is stand still. Because the enemy will put his target on you and blow you up. When you move, you change the rules of the game. Am I right, military people? There's a strategy of moving to be in position for victory. What's your move to get in position for victory with Jesus? What's your move? There's going to be people who can pray for you. There's going to be an altar here. We're going to sing an incredible song because tomorrow is amazing in her voice for God. And I want you just to respond accordingly. But if your movement is only going to be in this room, then you missed it. Because God's calling you to move beyond the walls of this. Your biggest move is going to be out there. What is he calling you to move tomorrow? Next week? Next school year? Next time you're with that certain person or that group of people? What's your move? God calls us to move. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Let's get moving. Let's be in obedience. Let me pray.